Today we focus on a new way, a new way of looking at something very old. Today will be like experiencing clarity, that's my hope, and enlightenment, seeing an old truth in a new light. I call today's message from 1 John, the new old commandment. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus has revealed this to his apostle, the apostle he loved. That's how John liked to describe himself. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one. You have had this old commandment from the beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message that you heard before. So I want you to think about the Old Testament, okay? All the way back to Adam. It's the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And you also, if you're in Christ, you're also living the truth of this old commandment that is now made new through Christ. For the darkness is disappearing. And the true light is already shining. How old is this old commandment referred to by the Apostle John. How old is it? John says, you've had this commandment since the beginning. When did God expect us to love one another? If this is the commandment, love one another, love each other, how long have we had such a commandment? How long, when did he start expecting you and I humans to love one another. Now that question made me kind of curious. So I looked up for the first time. I looked up the first time, opened the Bible. When's the first time? And it'd be a good trivia question. When's the first time you find the word love in the Bible? Because if it's an old commandment that you've had since the beginning, when did he expect that we would do that, honor that commandment and love one another? Well, you got to go to the 22nd chapter of Genesis to find love for the first time, the Word. And guess when, in fact, I was kind of blown away when I saw the first application of the word love in the Bible. It's Abraham and Isaac. The father, listen, the father who would be willing to give up his son. The father that would be willing to give up his son. Genesis 22, 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Notice the word faith. Love. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Abraham, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac. Whom you love. There's the first time you'll find the word what? Word love. The Isaac, whom you love so much, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah. Now, if you've been coming to this church, you understand what that means, where he's going. He's going to what will be called Jerusalem. 
Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering at one of the mountains, which I will show you. Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Later would be the Temple Mount itself. Is that the first time God expected us to love each other? Genesis 22, Abraham, Isaac. No, no, no. That's not the first time he expected us to obey the commandment, love one another. But it is interesting that that's the first time the word appears in the Bible. When a father in Jerusalem would offer his son love. The commandment and expectation of God for us to love each other is from the beginning. That's why it's an old commandment. And, and listen, from the beginning. However, even though it was this commandment from the beginning, sin perverted this God love and brought hostility and hatred to the kingdoms of men rather than God love. The commandment and expectation of God was always love. But Satan corrupted the seed of man, making us, listen carefully, because I'm going to use this a lot today. Satan corrupted the seed of man, making us self-centered. Self-centered. Filled with, and when you become self-centered, the things around you that don't fit your self-centered life drive you to jealousy and drive you to hostility because you're self-centered and they don't align with your self. So you become hostile, you become jealous, angry. It's not love. And it definitely doesn't meet the commandment of God to love one another. The first evidence of this was Cain and Abel, the son of, sons of Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel brought, both brought offerings to God. God accepted Abel's offering but God rejected Cain's offering. Now, this is fundamental, and you need to get this before you'll understand anything that comes after this. Both of them bring an offering to God. There was some sort of an expectation there. They didn't just do it for no reason. They both presented an offering to God. God gave Cain, and when they did, God rejected Cain's offering. He rejected it. He said, no, it's not acceptable. Abel's offering, yes, it is acceptable. And here comes God's love. God gave Cain a chance to make it right. He gave Cain a second chance to make the offering right. Come back with an acceptable offering and it will be well with you. Come back with an with a acceptable offering. God didn't have to give him another chance. He didn't have to give him a second chance to make a second offering. But come back with an acceptable offering. Instead, Cain became angry and jealous with his brother Abel. Where did that come from? The love of God has presented a second chance to do what is right. And instead of doing what is right, he becomes angry and jealous at Abel. What did Abel do? Abel did what was right. And the self-centered heart of Cain couldn't handle that. Genesis 4, 6. Why are you so angry? 
the Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. There's God's love. Church, I want you to look at this. God's love says to one that is wrong what it means to do right. Are you with me? God's love does what to Cain? He shows a person that is wrong what it will take to become right. It's love. It's not, it's not uh, judgmental. It's not um, con condemnation. It's love. God's love looks at Cain who is wrong and tells him how to do that which is right. It's God's love. You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but there's an alternative. But if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at your door like an animal, like a beast. Crouching at your door, eager to control you. It will eat you. But you must subdue this desire in your heart to sin, to go against that which God has said is right. You must subdue it and be its master. So what's going to happen? God is just, God's love has told one who is wrong how to be right. Verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, liar. I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Should I be concerned with somebody besides me? That's what he's saying. His self-centered heart has no conscience for someone outside of him. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's garden? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I hear his life. Blood is in the life. I hear his life crying out. Cain was the firstborn offspring of Adam and Eve. Cain was born after the curse and born under the curse. The seed of Adam and Eve had been corrupted, and love was not the natural result of this corrupted seed. No, 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 no. Self-love. Self-love. Self-centeredness is the result of this corrupted seed. Brotherly love? Nope self-love. Am I my brother's guardian? No. I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about me. Instead of love, which is what God commanded from the beginning, God's expectation from the beginning, we have hatred. We have jealousy. And now murder. So let's fast forward some 4,000 years to the time of Christ and the Apostle John. And we have this new old commandment. What will be different this time around? It didn't work the first time. 
Well, it'll be different this new time. If it's a new, why make a new old commandment when the old commandment didn't work? Cain killed Abel. That commandment didn't work for the children born of the first Adam, but what about those born again into the power of the last Adam? I need to say it again. If it didn't work under, if that commandment did not function inside the children born of the first Adam, what makes us think that this commandment will function in the children born in the last Adam? Is there a difference? 1 Corinthians 15. The scriptures tell us that the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, you know who he is, Jesus. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Spirit. Say the word. Spirit. Say it. Spirit. The first Adam is a person. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Two Adams. Two Adams. Two men. And practically speaking, they both came from God. Two men without an earthly father. One from heaven. One from the dust of the earth. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to make Jesus equal with Adam in that comparison. Adam was not God in the flesh. Romans 5.12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death... Even though it came into Adam, death spread to everyone, for everyone would sin. They're all from the corrupted seed of Adam, so now everyone sinned. Verse 13, yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break, law of Moses, which came later. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even though the law of Moses had not been given to the kingdoms of men, death still came to everyone anyway. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, they still all died. Now, Adam is a symbol. Listen, church. Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Adam, you and I know, broke an explicit commandment of God. Do not eat from that tree. He broke an explicit commandment of God, and death entered the human race. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find out, here, here's where I'm going today. I'm trying to find out what changed when Jesus gives us this new old commandment. It didn't work for Adam's and Adam's descendants. They all died. What changed now that the second Adam or the last Adam has come? What would make us today, 
What would make you and I able today, the church today, able to obey the commandment to love each other in this generation? When no one was able to obey that love commandment before Christ. The answer to that question is in the same text from 1 Corinthians, the very next verse, verse 48. Earthly people are like the earthly man. If you're born of Adam, you're going to be like Adam. And guess what? We are all born of Adam. That's our origination. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, that's, that's how we're all born. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. We're all born like Adam. One day we'll be like the heavenly man if we are born again. Earthly people, those from the corrupted seed of the first Adam, can I tell you what that means? You will be like Cain. Earthly people will be like Cain. You will be self-centered because you are born out of Adam's corrupted seed. You will be like Cain. But here comes the difference. The heavenly people that the Apostle Paul is talking about, the heavenly people are slowly being changed into the likeness of the heavenly man, the last Adam. They are being transformed by a spirit power. A spirit power is transforming them into the likeness of the heavenly man, away from the likeness of the earthly man. 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? You don't have to be a king. You can be an Abel. You, you don't have to live by the carnal flesh. You can live in the freedom of the power of the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom. Verse 18, so all of us who have had the veil removed, all of us who have had the veil removed, how do you get the veil removed? You, those who come, turns to the Lord, all of us who have had the veil removed can see, here it comes, here it comes, you can see and reflect. You know what reflect is? That which is from the Spirit comes into you and goes out from you. The light comes into you and goes out from you. It doesn't just come and stop in you. You can see it and you can reflect it. You can see and reflect what? The glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Right now, if you are in Christ, if you are in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are in the process of more and more and more and more and more becoming like Him. You are not like Him totally yet, but you will be like Him when He comes in the resurrection of the last day. That transformation will be completed then.
But how? How is this possible? Let me repeat 1 Corinthians 15, 45, one more time. The Scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What's the key, the life-giving spirit? What's different now than it was then, the life-giving spirit? The life-giving spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives us power it gives us a new heart. It removes the veil. We can see. We can reflect. And for the first time, you have the power. Listen, for the first time, you have the power to love our neighbor and obey God's new old commandment. You cannot do it in the flesh. You can pretend like it, but you are still self-centered. You can only do it in the Spirit. So let's go back to 1 John, and I want to read those five, I want to read five verses about this new old commandment, starting again in verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one. You have had it from the very beginning, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And you, church, if you're in the Spirit, you're also living the truth of this new commandment. For the darkness, I love this part. And what happens when the church lives the truth of this new commandment? For the darkness is disappearing. Why? Because the light always makes the darkness leave. The light, the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I'm living in this light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, uh-oh. If you claim you're living in this light, but yet you hate a Christian brother or a Christian sister, that person is still living in the darkness. And anyone who loves Another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in the darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by what? Darkness. Can you see it? I'm asking you, can you see it? Jesus, the last Adam, lived the truth of this new commandment. What is the truth of this new commandment? Jesus was not self-centered. He left heaven's throne to come down to the earth, to suffer, to be persecuted, spit upon, bleed, and die for his brothers and his sisters. That's not self-centered. Those who walk in the Spirit under the born-again power and presence of Christ will also live the truth of this new old commandment. Cain, the firstborn of Adam, represents the darkness of self-centered jealousy, hatred toward your brothers. 
Jesus, the last Adam, the only begotten Son of God, represents the light, the spirit power that enables the followers of Christ to love their neighbor as they love themselves. You cannot do it in the carnal flesh. You have to have the spirit or you will remain self-centered. The spirit-filled apostle John reveals a test. Everybody loves tests, don't they? No, they don't. To see if we are truly walking in the light in this new old commandment, John gives us this kind of a test to see that we might be deceived and think we're in the light, but we're still in the darkness. John says, if anyone claims I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in the darkness. So let's stop for a moment, and I want all of you to reflect upon your association with people. Is there somebody that if you'd be honest, you hate? And if there is, the darkness is still lingering around your house. Is there somebody you hate? you hate a Christian brother or sister, that person is living in the darkness. And what is the darkness? It is the absence of the light. And it's the only, and it's only the light. The darkness is the absence of the light, and it is only the light which is representative of the Spirit. It is only the light and the Spirit that allows us to love with the love of God in obedience to this new old commandment. Later on, in the next chapter of 1 John, Cain, the corrupted seed of the first Adam, his name comes up again. So John talks about him again. 1 John 3, verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. Now, he's going back to Adam and Eve again, right? This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain. Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill his brother? Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was right or righteous. There are Cain and Abel's today. Both are still represented on planet Earth today, Cain's and Abel's. Cain represents those who remain under the corrupted seed of the first Adam. They live in the carnal flesh. Their appetite is their flesh. They live to satisfy the appetite of the carnal flesh, which is totally, absolutely, 100% self-centered. What can I get in this life for me? Am I my brother's keeper? No. It's me. It's me. Cain represents those who remain under this corrupted seed of the first Adam. But Abel represents those who are righteous. Now, here's where it gets interesting today. Abel represents those who are righteous, and that brings up a question. And how did Abel, how did the Abels, how do the Abels of our generation in the church age, how do you become righteous? 
If Cain's do not live righteous lives, they follow after the corrupted seed of the first Adam, then how do Abel's in this generation become righteous? How does anybody today become righteous? It's in the story of Cain and Abel. Did you catch it? Could you guess it? When God's love comes to Cain and says, if you do what is right, you will be accepted. If you do what is right. And he didn't make Cain guess. He didn't have to say, well, I don't know what right. No, no. Abel did what was right. He was righteous. Cain, you did what was wrong, and you're unright. You're unrighteous. So if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. God's love did what? God's love went to someone in the darkness and told him to do what was right. God's love went to someone in the wrong and told them how to get into the right. God's love does that. It's God's love. He didn't leave him in the darkness. He didn't condemn him in the darkness. He didn't judge him in the darkness. He told him how to get out of the darkness. How? Do what is right. So, okay, you got my attention, but I don't know what that means. So what in the church age does it mean to do what is right? Here we go. The Bible always explains the Bible. Hebrews 11 verse 4. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. It was an act of faith. This is important. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. Righteous man, that, that means you're doing what's right. And God showed his approval to Abel's gift. So, Abel knew what was right in the eyes of God. And doing what is right in the eyes of God, in this case, was called faith. Are you with me? Doing what is right in the eyes of God is faith. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Doing what is right in the eyes of God is called faith. Cain did not do what was right in the eyes of God, but God's love told him, but you can't. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. It's called faith. Last week we talked at length about this truth about righteousness, about the righteous, and the righteous shall live by faith. What makes you and I righteous? What makes, what, how can we do what is right in the eyes of God? It's called faith. And what do you think that would look like today? In the modern church age, what, would, what does faith look like? Well, you can say, well, doing what is right in the eyes of God is called faith. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost, regardless of the culture, doing what is right in the eyes of God is called faith. But what is it really all about? The new old commandment. Love. Why? Why? Love. Why? Why do what is right in love? Love. If you're doing it for any other reason, then you're missing the point. It's called love. 
Now, let me turn the corner into some practical application. What would genuine new old commandment love look like in the church today? And this is where some of you are going to struggle. I know it before I say it. What was, what in the church, in our culture right now, where many have turned, many even in the church have turned away from the light and have, have gone into the darkness? What would love look like today? I can tell you this, it's more than tolerating and not hating your brother who you disagree with. It's more than that. The new old commandment of Jesus is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what would that really look like? Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Accepting the darkness in someone who is outside of the light is not called love. Accepting the darkness. In other words, you've got a friend, you've got a family member, you've got a coworker, you've got somebody who you know who is a cane living in the darkness. You coming alongside of them and calling it love while they remain in the darkness is not called love. It, it might have a word of tolerance, it might have a word of acceptance, it might have a lot of nice flowery words, but it's not called love. Am I my brother's keeper? Do I have a responsibility to my brother in the dark to get him into the light? Yes, it's called God's love. If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. So God comes to Cain and says, if you do what is right, God's love says, come out of the darkness into the light. That's love, not accepting him in the darkness. Well, you made a bad offering, good luck with that. You've made bad life choices, good luck with that. No, God's love says, if you do what is right, I'll tell you what is right. I'll show you the way out of the darkness into the light. Church, that's what love, that's what God's love still looks like. It's not tolerance watching your brother, your sister die in the darkness. You, you might call it tolerance, but it's not called love. God's love compels those in the darkness to come into the light. How can we connect the new old commandment of love to faith and doing what is right? Here we go, Romans 1.16. Church, this has to be us. This, once again, has to be me and you. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is. This message is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Why would I be ashamed of that which saves people from sin, death, grave, hell? Why would I be ashamed of this? The Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news. You ready? This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Well, why would I be ashamed of that? That's freedom! This is accomplished from start to, faith, start to finish by faith. 
Faith in what? I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this earth. Why would I be ashamed of that? Unless you actually, down deep in your own heart, don't believe it to be true. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has what? A righteous person has what? Say it out loud. Life. Life. What does real love look like today? Church, what does real love, not Hollywood love, not world love, not self-centered love, what does real love look like today? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to save us from the darkness. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the Bible. I'm not ashamed of its teachings. They are love, and they are righteous. They are the revelation of righteous. They are the truth about righteousness and unrighteousness. This good news gospel is still saving people today. Saving people from living a life of Cain and dying in their sins. Cain represents the lost. Those who will die in their sins and enter the eternal darkness of hell. Love is this. We must tell them before the darkness becomes permanent. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are your brother's guardian. Yes, it matters to God what you do to your neighbors. Are you ashamed of the gospel? God said to Cain, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. That's love. He didn't condemn him in that moment which he offered the wrong offering. He didn't judge him in the moment he made the wrong offering. He told him the truth about that which was right. This gospel, this good news, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. It's called faith. Love. This new old commandment of Christ compels us to share the good news with those who don't yet know so that they might too make peace with God. The righteous will live by faith and they will walk in the light of truth and love because they are born again. Born again Abel's in this generation in the last days. We are an acceptable offering to God. How? We are the blood of the Lamb. We are His righteousness by faith. We become the righteousness of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. Do you think it's curious that Abel's offering that was acceptable was a blood offering? He's a symbol. He's a, a, a shadow of the future offering and the only offering that will be accepted, the blood of the Lamb offering. The love of Christ. This new old commandment requires us to speak the truth about faith and righteousness to those who do not yet know. Tell the truth about life to those who are dying. Is it that simple? I am not ashamed of the gospel of, tr uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. To the Jew first, also to the Gentile. We are called by our King, our Savior, our Master, our Lord, to tell the truth about life to those who are dying. This is the greatest love. I'm going to make a big deal out of this. Church, your job, my job in this dark world is to tell the truth to those who are dying. 
tell the truth about life to those who are dying. This is the greatest love. But what if they reject the message of Christ? This has been the question in the church age. But what if, what if we preach the gospel? What if we in love tell them the truth about life to those who are dying? What if they reject it? What if they get mad at us? What if they don't like us? What if they call us haters and judgmental and mean-spirited? You preach it anyway. You preach it anyway. Because you know what they do not yet know. That if they remain in their sin, if they die in their sin, they will be forever lost in hell. And yes, you are your brother's keeper. You preach it anyway. With love, listen, listen, gentleness, gentleness, where's that come from? 2 Timothy 2.23. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. Facebook would be in this category. <laughs> don't get sucked into the stupid Facebook, Instagram arguments. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. If you're sharing the gospel is quarreling, stop. Stop. You're not helping anybody. Stop. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Gently. Perhaps God... You're not going to change their heart anyway. Perhaps God will change their, those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. They, then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he, Satan, wants. That brings us to this next very curious section of 1 John. John describes those who he had previously written to. Stay with me, because it's kind of, it's a curious part to me. In this next section, he describes those who he's previously written to and those that he's presently writing to. Those in the past and those in the now. John calls out three groups of believers, past and present. God's children, those who mature in the faith and those who are young in the faith, Remember, this is in the context. What I'm about to read to you, starting in verse 12, is in the context of this new old commandment. And here's what he says. I am writing to you who are God's children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith, because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith, because you have won your battle with the evil one. Now he changes. I have written, now he's talking about those previously. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. And God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. So let's begin with the first one. He says, I, I am writing to you who are God's children. 
What is it that makes them God's children? Because he says, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Who are God's children in this text? Those whose sins have been forgiven through Jesus. That doesn't mean these people never sin. They are forgiven, and now they are at peace with God. It kind of reminds me of a t-shirt I saw someone wear one day. It says, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. That's the description John gives of the children of God. Number two, I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith. And what is the criteria for that statement? Because you know that Christ existed from the beginning. Those mature in the faith know something. John says you'll know something. That Christ existed from the beginning. Before Adam, before Eve, before Cain, before Abel. You know him, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You know him as creator. You're not struggling. You're not struggling with evolutionary theory. You're not those mature in the faith, those in Christ, are not struggling with whether or not you came from a monkey. That, that the universe was formed by chance random processes. You're not still struggling with that. You're mature in the faith. You've come out of the darkness. And you're not, listen, you're not still struggling with life's three big questions. You know what they are? Everybody's got them. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? You know the answer. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Do you know? Those mature in the faith. That's how he writes it. Number three. I am writing to you who are young in the faith. Who are these? He says, because you have won your battle with the evil one and God's word lives in your heart. You have won your battle with the evil one in God's Word. This lives in your heart. How do you win your battle with the evil one? This Word, this light comes into your darkness, and darkness has got to go. You've won your battle with the evil one there today. Listen, there are two spiritual atoms. One atom produces Cain. One atom produces Cain. And he is not his brother's keeper. He is not his brother's guardian. He is his brother's hater. The other Adam, which is Christ our Lord, he produces Abel's. Those who live by faith, those who do what is right as revealed to them by God through the Spirit, and live their lives in the righteousness, with the righteousness of Christ, which has always been love which has always from the beginning told you, told me, yes, you are your brother's guardian. What happens to the people around you it should be of utmost importance to you. And if it's not, beware. Then you too are in the darkness. I'm going to put all these all three of these John statements together and ask each person a question today. You ready? Here we go. John says, you have been forgiven through Jesus. Is that you? Are you a child of God? It's yes or no. If your answer is maybe, it's no. Number two, John says, you know that Christ existed from the beginning. 
Is that you? Do you know where you came from? Do you know who the creator is? Are you mature in your faith? Number three, you have won the battle with the evil one. Is that you? How do you win the battle with the evil one? This word has penetrated your heart. The truth, the light has come into the darkness and the lie. If those three descriptions are not, if they do not apply to you, then this is you. You have not been forgiven of your sins, and you have not made peace with God, and you are not His child. How many times have you heard of people say, but we're all God's children? No, that is a lie. We are not all God's children. The only ones who are God's children are those who are born again in Christ, the Son of God. He becomes your bro brother, and then at that point, you become a child of God. Only through Him will you get into this family. Number two, you do not know that Christ existed from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you do not know that He existed from the beginning, you're still living under the influence of the other spirit, of the other Father. And finally, you have not won the battle with the evil one. You know what that means? You have not won the battle with the evil one. That means you are lost. You are lost. Whether you know it or not, you're a Cain. And the wonderful part of today's message is when Cain was lost, the love of God came and said this. If you do what is right, Cain, you will be accepted. The love of God showed the way out of the darkness. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the mission of the church. That's our job until he comes. Love always speaks the truth. Today, this new old commandment is here to set you free by forgiving your sins so that you can make peace with God. The new old commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. The old self-centered, me, 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 me life is gone. Under the first Adam, under the carnal flesh, it is impossible for you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it is impossible for you to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do it. But under the last Adam, listen, church. Under Christ, the love of Christ, the Spirit of Christ compels us and empowers us. It give, he gives us the ability to do what we can't do because it is the Spirit doing it, not the carnal flesh. Jesus told us that all the law and the prophets were summarized by this new old commandment. All the law, all the prophets were summarized by this new old commandment. What? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am moved by the final line from John about why he is writing all this down for us. He says, I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's Word lives in your hearts, and you, God's Word lives in your hearts, and you have won the battle. You have won the battle with the evil one. What, why, why, how did I win the battle with the evil one? Because His Word lives in my heart. His Word is alive. It's powerful. It's supernatural. It's Him. It's Him in me, Christ in me. Satan has no power over me when Christ is in me. His Word has dominion and authority and power in me. So 
So I want to close with God's powerful word from the Apostle Paul to the Gentile church in Rome. This word clearly describes the battle and the victory over the evil one. The new whole commandment. Romans 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Owe nothing to anyone except for this, your obligation to love one another. And if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the righteous requirements, the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet his wife. You're not going to steal his property. Verse 10, love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent. Listen, church. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. And you know, don't you, that time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. Somebody say hallelujah. The night is almost gone. And the day of salvation will be here soon. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling or in jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ. Clothe yourself. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. How much time remains for us individually and for the world itself? How much time we got left? Do you feel like time is drawing near? I feel a sense of urgency. Those of you who know me personally, you know that I am compelled by the Holy Spirit. There is an urgency in my heart. First Peter 4, 7. He says this, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. If you thought the world was coming to an end, if you thought your time was nearing its last day, would there be anybody in your life that you should go and make things right with? Then you should do that now. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. So here's the wrap up today. Some of you need to make things right with somebody today. There's people in this room that if you be honest, you've got something against somebody and you need to undo it. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are your brother's guardian. And if you ignore me today, you are not ignoring me. You are ignoring God's Word. You're choosing darkness over the light. Some of you need to make things right with God today. By making things right with your brother, your sister, you need to make things right with God today. The greatest love we will ever show an individual is to tell the truth about life to those who are dying. Now, here comes the last part. 
There are people in your life that are in the darkness. You are your brother's keeper. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save our souls. Gently, gently, without judgment, without condemnation, gently instruct. Allow God's power to redeem them. You don't have to redeem them. You just let the word of truth go through you and let the, let the Holy Spirit work through you to release the word into their lives. Let God do the power to transform their hearts. James 5, 19, last scripture. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, church, if somebody you know wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. The story of Cain and Abel, God's response to Cain, is forever in my mind as a picture of God's great love. But it is also a picture of God's great truth. For he looks at Cain, who is in the darkness, and he says, Cain, if you'll do what is right, you'll be accepted. But he doesn't finish the sentence there, does he? He says, but if you refuse to do what is right, understand this, sin is crouching at your door, and it longs to master you, but you must master it. You have this free will, Cain. You have this moment in time in which right and wrong are in front of you. And you must choose right. You must choose to follow the Word of God in that moment. You must follow after the light in that moment. Or sin is crouching at your door. So today, the Word of God has been preached. Life has been spoken into this room. Choose life. We offer an invitation for this one reason, because we believe the Holy Spirit always is working. Well, I don't know how he does it or who he's doing what to in this moment, but if he, is, if he is compelling you to do something today, the answer is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The invitation's open. Let's stand.